Welcome to CX Champions, an unscripted masterclass on how you can stand out, think differently, and reimagine what a customer experience could look like in a digital first world. This podcast is brought to you by HGS. HGS is a digital customer experience leader dedicated to delivering winning customer interactions at scale that are prompt, personal, and positive. We continuously transform, optimize, and grow enterprises to exceed ever-rising customer expectations. HGS provides our clients with the right talent and technologies needed to champion every moment. Learn more at hgs.cx. Welcome to CX Champions, the podcast that delves into the minds of disruptors and visionaries in the customer experience space. I'm your host, Larry Fleischman, and welcome to the show. In today's episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with a true industry veteran, the Chief Operations Officer of Turo, Julie Weingart. With over three decades of experience in designing, launching, and managing contact center programs, Julie brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. She's not only held executive leadership roles at major players in the BPO industry, including StarTech, Sykes, and Cytel, but she reshaped the industry building programs and contact centers all over the world and re-envisioning what a customer experience could really look like. Julie coined a mantra that resonates today more than ever before in our history. The most important customer interaction is the one that happens next. And if that doesn't make you pause and take notice, then you're not paying attention. In this episode, we unravel Julie's fascinating journey from growing up as the daughter of a rancher to becoming one of the most successful BPO executives in the world. We'll explore the pivotal moments that led Julie to eventually shift away from the BPO space and take on the role of Chief Operations Officer at Turo, one of the most disruptive brands in personal travel and transportation. So join us as we delve deep into the insights, experiences, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Julie Weingart, it's a pleasure to sit down with you and welcome to CX Champions. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate the invite. I'm excited to be here. It's a privilege. So look, let's get started. You know, we're all eager to dig into Turo, learn about what you're doing there. But first, let's talk about those early years. You're grinding it out, managing operations in the BPO space, supporting multiple brands. I mean, what was that like in those early years when you break in and, you know, they probably handed you a half dozen, a dozen global brands potentially and start managing operations? Yeah, you know, it, it was really exciting to be part of BPO and outsourcing in those early days when there wasn't a roadmap, there wasn't a playbook. We were just making it up as we went along. And so I felt really, really honored to be able to just learn it as we went because a lot of times you just saw there was something that needed to be done you started doing it because it needed to be done. And then before you knew it, a position was created and then there was a department and it just uh, was growing so rapidly. So I, first of all, tested to be an agent. So I started and was trained to be an agent on the phones. And then they identified me as somebody who had administrative and HR background. So then I got put into that role. And then pretty soon I was an account manager and then a site director. So all of those things happened before I came responsible for any clients, IT, workforce management, all of those things. And, you know, I think what was really valuable about that was you really learned it by doing it and it wasn't specialized. Everybody needed to do everything. So I think that really prepared me well and laid a great foundation to be able to support clients later on, whether it was, you know, some of the originals like Apple 
or you know AT&T and then moving on into retail and e-tail later on into the client portfolio that I had but lots of diversity lots of fun yeah no that's great so your first role in the BPO space was with a giant at the time Sykes can you just you know especially for our audience that may be some young folks that are just entering the CX space some of the projects that you're working on and you know, was this really kind of your gateway that led to this passion for CX? Yeah. So I joined Sykes in their first contact center in my little hometown of Sterling, Colorado. I was employee number 60 in their call center space. So they certainly weren't a giant at the time, right? They went on to be a giant, which was amazing. Outsourcing wasn't really very accepted. It was in 1993. It was a long time ago. So we had to convince companies, one of our first clients, we couldn't even say where we were located. We had to pretend that we were in um, the Silicon Valley of California without asking our agents to be untruthful. We would teach them not to answer the question directly because we never wanted to be untruthful. If we had to answer it directly, we would, but that's how much of a stigma there was. And that's when it was in rural America. This is like offshoring now. Exactly. <laughs> rural America was the first offshores. So I think. What I would say is just continue to be open, even in today, you know, that as things mature, there's always opportunities to challenge what's being done and to ask, is there another way, a better way, a smarter way to do something? Just because it's been done that way over and over again doesn't mean that you can't challenge it and see what other ways there might be to, to do it better or smarter. So I know uh, looking back uh, and, and thinking about some of those exciting parts uh, working in the early programs. And you, I, I imagine the job probably took you all over the world. I know you started in Colorado, but eventually, yeah. you know, you're opening sites all over. I mean, what was that like, not just in the early days, but kind of leading into the, these operational roles? Yeah, it was certainly not where I thought our life would go. You know, we thought we would be in rural America, ranchers, and that's how it would go. Our kids would be in that agricultural rural lifestyle, and that's not where it took us because of the opportunities that we were exposed to and got to take advantage of with BPO. So I was very fortunate to get to open a lot of the U.S. locations with Sykes. And then at one point, we were offered the opportunity to move out of Colorado and go open a new site personally in Manhattan, Kansas with Sykes. So we left. We left home, which is where nobody had really done that in our families before. So that was first Went and opened that location. I think that was like number 15 or something in the U.S. for Sykes. And then three years later, we went and located in Tiapa, Florida for the corporate office for Sykes. But along with that, we were able to open the first contact center with Sykes in Cebu in the Philippines. Nobody had been to Cebu before. And then also the first contact center in Baguio in the Philippines up in the mountains on the main island. So you know, all of those brought different challenges, whether it was onshore, nearshore, offshore. Some of them were the same challenges. Some of them were definitely nuanced based upon the communities that you were in. But all of them were all just so exciting, great travel, great people everywhere you went. And that's what I really like about this industry is everyone who's in it has such a passion for customer experience. That's why they're there and why they stay in it. As we delve into Julie's remarkable journey, let's rewind a bit and go to the beginning. 
a chapter set against the rugged landscapes of Colorado. Julie Weingart is the daughter of a rancher. That's right. She found herself immersed in the daily grind of ranch life with the anticipation of eventually taking the reins. But little did she know that her path, her journey, would lead her far from those picturesque landscapes of her family's ranch in Colorado and into the hustle and bustle of global deal-making. Julie ventured into uncharted territory and retuned those fearless skills and her take-no-for-an-answer mindset to the trenches of corporate America and not surprisingly, quickly marched up the ladder, becoming that strong female leader that we all know today. Julie's roots on the ranch shaped her leadership style today and ultimately led her to carve a unique path as a female disruptor and a leader in the global business landscape. It was a a great upbringing, I have to tell you that, but it was a lot of hard work. My parents, farm and ranch, we had everything. We had chickens and cattle and hogs and horses. We grew all kinds of crops. My mom made bread every Thursday and it was all from the wheat that was ground by the neighbor up north. Then she canned and made jelly. And so, you know, we had all of that. It was great. But like I said, it was a lot of hard work. And then when my husband and I got married, we spent the first 15 years trying to make it work in rural America on a ranch and farm. And between market prices and mother nature, it just wasn't something we were able to do. So it's really easy to become nostalgic about it. I love the idea of it. In reality, you know, I still have siblings in that environment. It's still a lot of hard work to make it work. And, you know, whether or not it is still today, but certainly at the time in the outsourcing world, it's dominated by male leaders. And here's this up and comer, remarkable woman. And you're essentially putting these guys on notice, right? Well, what was that like? You know, can you talk a little bit about that experience and just some of the obstacles that you had to overcome as this, you know, incredible woman, female leader that's coming in and just flipping the switch? Yeah, it was certainly a space that had to be navigated carefully. Being a female in a male-dominated world, so much of mentorship and business conversations at that time, and maybe still today, although I think less so, happen on the golf course. So when we went to corporate events, while a lot of spouses who were female went and did spa days, I went to the golf course. Awesome. That was a great place to be. It was not a place that was questionable because it was out in the open. And, you know, you had to be careful about that in mentorship between male and female. You still do. And I think, you know, it's made me be even more open to what's needed even today in the way of mentorship. There still remains very few female mentors and women need other women mentors. But you know what I learned, and and it's been so amazing having adult children now who are professional and adult nephews and nieces who are professionals, is understanding that it's not only females who need female mentors, males need female mentors too. How else are they going to understand the differences and what's needed in the world of business from a, a gender basis such as that? And not only are females not good at asking for it, they're not good at offering it up to be mentors either. And so we have to continue to foster that type of mentorship and make sure that 
uh, all of our young professionals are getting a good relationship, you know, side of things from both males and females in their professional careers. No, I, I think it's a great point. I mean, the world needs leaders. The world needs female leaders, especially today. I, I agree. I'd, I'd like to see more like female mentors and leaders helping men. And, and it, we'll definitely get into that with, when we start chatting about Toro. I'd love to get your, your theory on that. But so eventually at Cytel, you're clearly moving up along from those early days where they're like, oh, you know, she'll be a good admin, even though you wanted to be an agent. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you're a senior vice president. You're responsible for 4,500 employees. You're operating out of 13 sites. You're opening these global centers, traveling all over the world. I mean, what is that experience like? You got to be just amazed at what you've managed to accomplish during that time and the pressure and responsibility that's on you. It's fun to look back at. I think it was such a whirlwind at the time because of, you know, having a family. At some points, I had three children in school. Thank goodness for a great partner spouse who has been amazing through all of this. We just celebrated 41 years of marriage, so couldn't have done it without that influence in my life. And, you know, I think that's one of the, the big things that I'll say that everybody needs to have to deal with that sort of career growth, because it happened really quickly. And how I tell people to cope with all of this is you really need someone to be your cheerleader. You really need someone to tell you all of the time, you can do this. You've got this. Don't give up, you know, just keep moving forward with your plan. And so I would say that was one of the ways that I did it because in a lot of cases it was get on a plane, get to the country, get the job done, get back so you could go to the sporting event or you could go to the, you know, whatever was happening at school event, right? There was so much going on. It was about really planning it out and being the best you could be at whatever time it was that, you know, if you were with the client, be there, be fully there, be the best you can be. And then if you need to get home and do family, give it your all there too. And I think right. it just happened so quickly that I think it was that absolute focus and organization that kept it all on track with a great cheerleader. Yeah, I can't imagine the pressure of traveling around. And like you said, it's early in the industry still. I mean, and you're opening sites in Cebu, you know, all throughout Philippines. And I would imagine that even there, I mean, it's not like you go to Cebu, Manila today, a big percentage of the GDP is outsourcing. But at the yeah. time, it was probably very little. So now you're not only hiring, you're training people on how to be uh, customer experience represent. Probably CX didn't even exist. Yeah, it wasn't very big. For sure, it was just emerging, but I am so very, very proud of the BPO industry and what it has brought to the Philippines because you're absolutely right, Larry. When I started going there in the early 2000s, there was so much more of a gap between you know people who had money and people who did not. And it was really sad and the poverty was just so apparent. And don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of poverty in the Philippines, but there's been this emergence of the middle class. Yeah, that has happened over the last two decades that I just think is so much due to the BPO industry going there and, and really embracing the customer spirit, the customer experience spirit that the Filipino people have. They're just amazing. You know, where I really saw that coming out was when 
with the Dawn Ship. Hmm. When we started to see people taking care of their oral health and having braces, whether it was in the call centers or at the front desk at a hotel, right? Just this emergence of the middle class. I think something for this industry to be very proud of. Yeah. And you're right in the center of it because today, so I would probably agree that Philippines is probably the center hub for customer support, customer experience, certainly in the U.S. I mean, you go there happy hours at 9 a.m. basically, you know, and so, (laughs) right, that's all I know about it. But going and building that from scratch, I mean, the first couple of times that you went, you would imagine have some kind of recollection of what that was like. And you're probably up against all this saying, you know, are we really going to be able to do this? Because it wasn't anything built yet. This is certainly early, early days of creating. You essentially were part of creating an industry in a country. Yeah. Opening Baguio was really interesting because we didn't have cable. We had microwave towers. And so you're in the mountains. Wow. There's typhoons. A typhoon comes through. The center goes down. I was usually working at that point, you know, from home base in Tampa. So it was a lot of time on the phone with outage calls, trying to get everything back up and running until we finally got cable up there to that location and got all of the infrastructure stabilized. In early 2019, Julie decided to ditch the traditional BPO scene and dive straight into the cool world of Turo, the revolutionary mobile application that has disrupted the traditional car rental model, allowing individuals to rent out their personal vehicles to travelers by creating a peer-to-peer car sharing platform. She basically went from overseeing global outsourcing ops to running the show for one of the coolest and most interesting brands on the planet. Imagine a world where you can skip the boring rental car counters and embrace the excitement of hitting the road in the car of your dreams, or even that quirky little vehicle you never thought you'd get to drive. Churro is your ticket to that world. It's like trading in your comfy sedan for a sleek, brand new convertible. Bold, unexpected, and undeniably thrilling, just like Julie. Turo is redefining the concept of car ownership and usage, and their mission is well aligned with the growing trend towards sustainability and environmental impact. But for Julie, that shift came at a critical point in her career. Remember, her background is deeply rooted in managing outsourcing operations. She is the maestro of efficiency. And little did they know, but with Julie's hire, Churro hit the jackpot. Her entire career is about creating brand experiences. So buckle up, because with Julie at the wheel, Churro is about to take the joyride of a lifetime. What really makes it special for me is that we are customer obsessed. And we really know that how we're going to continue to win and dominate as we've been doing in this space is to just continue to win one customer at a time. You know, it is always about iterating and reiterating over and over again on what we do and how we do it, because it's about making that next customer experience even better. Not that we're not focused on today's Mm -hmm. experiences. I, I don't want anybody to think like, oh, you know, I don't care about those that have happened that might still need follow-up. Absolutely, absolutely care about that. But we're just absolutely obsessed at all levels of the organization with that customer experience and making it the best that it can be because that's what's going to continue to fuel the flywheel of growth for us. When you talk about support, and you've said before that, you know, Turo is really striving for a CX, a customer experience, 
that requires zero support. So can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, let's face it. Consumers just want a product that works, no matter what it is. You don't want to have to contact support. So first and foremost, keeping that as the mission when we continue to release new features and things, it just needs to work and we need to test for that all the way through. And you know, we've got great product and engineering teams that really have that at the focus of what they're doing, you know, continuing to make that product that's just fantastic and works. And then when it doesn't work, today's consumer doesn't want to have to pick up the phone and contact somebody. They want to be able to self-resolve. And so that's where we're really focused too, is if for some reason that journey is not one that moves along without an issue, how can you quickly and effortlessly find the support you need in the way that you want to receive it? And again, a lot of people want to be able to self-resolve that. They want to be able to find their answers. Right. But if you don't, we want to be able to be accessible. We want support to be easy to find for you in whichever manner you need the support to happen, because some issues require different levels of urgency or have different levels of urgency. And you might need mm -hmm. to talk to somebody right away if your trip is interrupted for some reason, for example. So it's really about making the journey with Turo just as flawless as possible, and then making sure that if something does happen, that that experience is one where you get help as quickly and effortlessly as possible. Yeah, so I can see that. I mean, I, I and also there's a, a safety issue. I mean, I yeah, like the car's not opening or whatever, you don't really know. So I, I imagine there's a lot of automation in the back end. Technology is impacting that customer experience. I mean, and you've said it before, where you, it, it's almost like if there was a choice, you want to give the customer the choice to be able to pick up the phone or it directly in the app, talk to someone that can help them accelerate a solution. But do, do you have an opinion on like this idea around the right balance between human driven support and automated or AI driven support? And what do you think the right balance is? Well, I think the right balance, it can be dependent upon, you know, the company that's implementing itself. When you have contacts that really are low values. So they're not something that requires that human-to-human -human interaction where AI can handle it, handle it efficiently, handle it thoroughly, and handle it with a great customer experience at the end of it. Companies absolutely need to embrace that AI. And then where the contacts are more complex and you need to have creativity or critical thinking and really the part that humans bring to the equation, that's where the human interaction needs to come into play, is really those places where humans bring to the interaction what humans do best. And that keeps the humans, right? The agents, the people <laughs> on the it, other yeah. end of the phone, excited and motivated to go to work too. They want to solve problems, right? They want to solve problems. Who wants to go to work and just read from a right. easy to do script? It's not something that gets you motivated every day. So talking about the root cause, I, I wanted to dig into this because I, I imagine that you have to be looking at this. Like, how do you equate where the problem is? And yes, can a human solve it? Can an automated bot solve it? But how do you get down to the root cause that's causing the need for customer support? How do you identify it? We do that a lot. 
in operations at Turo, and we have great communication back and forth with our product engineering, marketing, all of the different teams at Turo, because really the first step is to identify and define the problem. Why are we receiving contacts? We like to think of it first as a question that needs to be answered. What is the reason for the contact that we're receiving? And what is the frequency and severity of it? Because if it's something that's happening very frequently, obviously it's going to get our attention, but it might be happening infrequently and it might be a more severe contact. I tend to think of severity by it costs a lot or it might be brand damaging, have brand damaging impacts, for example. So it has a, a some sort of a severity rating to that. And you know, in today's world, I don't think everyone has enough people to handle every situation. So you have to have a way to prioritize it. So we ask the question first to get to the root cause. We use data to understand mm -hmm. the frequency and severity of it. And we use customer journey mapping to help us be a very effective way to try to right. understand where, whether it's the guest journey or the host journey, since we're a two-sided marketplace, and in some cases, even the employee journey, where do we need to really focus to make it better? It was March of 2020, and the travel industry, like the rest of the world, came to an abrupt standstill. Turo faced a daunting uncertainty about its survival, uncertain whether it could weather the storm that had taken the world by surprise. Yet, what unfolded was nothing short of remarkable. As planes remained grounded and international travel became a distant dream, a new trend emerged, a surge in the desire for road trips. People yearned for the freedom to explore closer to home, and Turo became the go-to solution. Simultaneously, traditional rental companies found themselves in a bind, selling off their fleets as the demands for their services plummeted. Turo, on the other hand, found itself in the sweet spot of this unexpected paradigm shift, and Julie had a front row seat. She took from her past life as a CX outsourcer and knew exactly how to respond. And because of this, Turo not only survived, but they thrived in this unprecedented landscape. The story is one of resilience, quick thinking, and a profound appreciation for how customer experience expectations can evolve overnight, showcasing how under the right leadership, disruption can lead to unforeseen opportunities. So we, we started to see a number of new guest use cases really emerge. And so, you know, that was something where people found Turo. And then as commercial travel was something that guests didn't want to do or people didn't want to do, then another use case really began to emerge, which was finding a larger vehicle for a family vacation and going to the national parks wow. and getting an SUV where maybe the family car was a Camry and using it for that type of a use case. And you know, we saw all different kinds of people turn to Turo for ways to get back out and, and you know get out of the house again, but without doing it in the traditional means of flying to a resort or something like that. Right. So that was very helpful. And then rental cars had no option but to deflete. They yeah. had all of these cars and nowhere to put them if they weren't on the road. So they started selling off their fleets. And as people wanted to travel again using cars, you couldn't find rental cars. So this is, so this is really interesting, by the way. So do you shift gears like right after COVID and you start seeing a new customer profile? People want things differently. 
it's really more about personalization and like, how did you react? Just break it down from like support. Like, how did you react from a support perspective? And did you like just crank up automation at this point or? Yeah. So it it came back so rapidly, especially in 2021. You know, I had this ramp plan because we've got some seasonality impact to the business. And I was building for a really busy summer in July of 2021. No matter how many I was ramping to with ages, 20% service levels, you know, 40 and 50% abandonment rates. It was awful. I was just losing my mind. And so, you know, the good news was I came from that world and I had people in the world who I knew. So at that point, we had two outsourced partners and we had about 400 agents. And in a weekend, I made contacts. We not only added additional locations with the two partners that we had, we had to two more partners. Right. And within seven weeks, we went from 400 agents to over 1,500 by adding locations and adding two new partners. And our service levels went from the 20% back up to over 80% in 60 seconds, which is our service level goal on phone and chat. And my big worry is, are we going to do it with quality or CSAT? And we actually had better quality and better CSAT than we had had the previous year. So you know, that was certainly part of it because I had a path forward to that quicker than I had in a path forward to automation. And, you know, really what I think any customer wants is they want to feel valued. They want to know that you're working hard and we needed to be there for them. Mm-hmm. And we've added automation since then to do different things, to handle their contacts and you know, using chatbots and things like that. But really for us, it was first being there and taking care of those customers when they needed us. So then, you know, now you've got 1,500 people, you had 400. What was the training, onboarding? I mean, how fast were you able to make that happen? I have got a fantastic team at Turo, just amazing people who know how to get things done and know how to get things done well. And we really had to lean into our BPO partners at the time. It has been amazing to see how they work together. One BPO would train another BPO because it's what we needed to have happen. We're all in a universal queue together. And so it's not about somebody made service level and somebody else didn't make service level. They partner so well together. And I, Mm -hmm. I feel very, very fortunate with the partners. I think it's been very, very helpful because I understand both sides of the equation now and that all sides of the equation. When you think about, you know, Turo, you think about our guests, our hosts, you think about our teammates, right? The people at Turo, the frontline agents at our BPOs, we all have to win. We all have to win together. And that is what we've really, really tried to foster is that we don't want to create this champion challenger model that becomes so competitive that at the end of the day, somebody loses. It's about winning together for us. You've, you've completely changed the game. That's great. So you're at Toro for four and a half, almost five years, and things have, have changed. You've pivoted, but in the time that you've been there, unbeknownst to you, the world's changed. Your team has grown. Toro is certainly growing. You're right at the kind of center of this massive shift in customer expectations. What do you really think are the customer expectations now 
after going through all this and what's really influencing them you know, in this post-COVID 2023 world we're, we're in almost, oh my gosh, almost 24. Yeah, I know it's going by very quickly. I think what all customers want, as I mentioned before, is to be valued. And, you know, the best customer experience a brand can provide is that the customer gets exactly what they expect when they expect it. They don't compare Turo necessarily to traditional rental car. They compare Turo to the best brand interaction they've had with any brand out there. And let's face it, you know, Amazon has certainly risen the bar right. for a lot of customer expectations that for us, it's as a guest, you click a button, you book a car. And if you're a host, the expectation is you press button, you know, list a car, make money. That's how simplified we're trying to make it at zero. So that's interesting. So in terms of expectations, you're saying that your competition, if you will, or the bar has been set, let's say by Amazon, you believe that your customers aren't really comparing Turo to another car rental company like an Avis or a National. They're comparing it to a customer experience in general. And it really has nothing to do with what you're renting. It's the experience and the simplicity of that experience. And that's essentially what you're striving for. That's right. We really, you know, want to be the successful modern business that is mobile first. We're mobile first technology. And I think that mobile first services has really changed customer engagement and what customers expect and how they expect it. Just like you know, some of the food delivery services aren't getting compared to what it's like when you walk into the grocery store, right? It's really this technology and the proliferation of mobile apps and people's expectations are different. No, this has been, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I think it's, you've been through a lot and you've seen a lot. Where's the future of Turo? If you had a, a crystal ball, I mean, where's Turo in three, five, 10 years? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll speak to operations and where we really are looking to take the customer experience at Turo. And you know, our vision is that Turo is loved and celebrated for the delightful support experiences that people have on the platform. And that those experiences are fantastic conversations at the dinner table right? about what just happened on their Turo trip. And that we just open up ways for people to really experience the brand and be delighted by it. Julie's story is one of tenacity. As a female leader, she's well-versed in navigating adversity. And as a rancher's daughter, she knows full well how to adapt and isn't phased when people tell her something is impossible. Julie's ability to constantly redefine the rules of the game and always emerge stronger is a testament to her upbringing and her attitude. But what stands out is Julie's remarkable capacity to navigate adversity with ease, turning challenges into opportunities that fuel innovation. Unfazed by the naysayers, she has consistently defied conventional wisdom, proving that the impossible is often just a matter of perspective. Her commitment to redefining the rules of the game has not only allowed her to survive, but thrive in dynamic and unpredictable environments. And make no doubt, Julie is paving the way for other women in the industry, modeling strong female leadership for both men and women. Julie Weingart is a disruptor. She's an icon, she's a visionary, and she's an embodiment of resilience. 
Her journey is an inspiring testament to the power of adapting, evolving, and emerging stronger on the other side. I hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast is brought to you by HGS, a global leader of digital customer experiences with the talent and technologies to champion every moment. Learn more at hgs.cx.